Hello, everyone. I'm Lisa Morell, along with Nicoletta Pergolesi. Did I pronounce it correctly? Yes, Lisa. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you very, very much for, for your invitation. Thank you. Oh, I'm so happy to have you here. And welcome to all of you who are joining the Transforming and Thriving Through Horse Wisdom Summit. It's so special. Each time I do one of these I'm going to interviews, I call them conversations because in fact, that's what they are. I learned so much and I am so grateful to our guests who are giving so much. And the fact is that we all just love horses. We all are so invested in uh, becoming better people. We're invested in taking care of the horses and making sure they're good. And also in creating a better world for all of us. And this is perfect when I uh, talk about Nicoletta. First of all, I'm gonna read you her, in her bio. And the thing that's so wonderful is that I love her bio. It's, it's very much who uh, I think she is. It's titled Multiple Lives. Learning and exploring have been my red threads in life. I've been traveling difficult paths academically and professionally and physically in a highly multicultural environment bachelor in philosophy, doctor in history of art. I added a master in international relations and another one in systemic management. <laughs> Why not, right? You're on a roll. I've been working for both corporate and the public sectors from film production and media programs to humanitarian aid. In 2005, I attended the Black Horse Wisdom Workshop with Linda Kohanev in Arizona. And from there, I embraced the way of the horse wisdom and deepened my experience completing the EASE program with Kathleen Barry Ingram and Linda Kohana, and then moved on to study NLP, art counseling and systemic courses with a special focus on horse-human interaction. I manage a nonprofit organization, La Via del Cavallo, in partnership with the horses. We assist teenagers and parents in transition, Three kids, five horses, a dog, and two cats, plus a vegetable garden keep me pretty busy after my daily work, as if there's any room. In the service in charge of and in service in charge of humanitarian aid at the European Union, where I am responsible for learning and development of field staff after years in evaluation of field projects. Wow, that's amazing. That is just so beautiful. And uh, how does it feel when I read all of that? It's, uh, it feels, I see actually the pattern behind. It looks like uh, I have been zigzagging through, through life and doing lots of detours. And uh, listening to this, it's first of all, it's interesting because it's then I become an observer, a spectator. So it's uh, usually not the case when we are uh, writing a, uh, our video. And uh, it's uh, interesting uh, because it's learning and it's uh, the red thread throughout uh, the career, throughout my life, throughout all these different paths that I'm, you mentioned. It's really, uh, it, it's learning, it's the learning process. Mm -hmm. And uh, where do we give uh, a little bit back what can we do to, to give back? What can we learn? What can we carry on? So that's, uh, that's basically it. And the spreading the word and uh, spreading uh, 
it's uh, I was I was training uh, and giving training. So when I was working in film production, and then afterwards uh, I, I end up uh, now giving trainings uh, again. It's really the the teaching and the learning process. And actually, I'm more a learner than a teacher. And this is uh, the this is the the essence, I think. I love that. I love that. Uh, one of the things that you said is um, the the red thread, and uh, I was thinking about when you were talking about teaching and learning, and it's all about for me what I've come to realize with these uh, magnificent magnificent beings and the necessity of that they bring to us is the interspecies learning. And we could say, okay, they're horses. However, you're dealing with what some would say was intercultural, it is intercultural learning. And it's all sometimes I'm sure can seem like you're, these people that you work with are from two different planets. And there's so much to learn from that. So I'm really interested in, um, how this horse wisdom, first of all, what we're trying to do is just make a little bit more tangible, although it's it's kind of an oxymoron, uh, horse wisdom. However, uh, making it a little bit more definable so that we can see how to take it into the world. And I'm so interested in how you define or recognize horse wisdom and how that is showing up in your red thread as uh, you're working in the EU and uh, your humanitarian aid, your leadership work? It's a big question. So what just comes up for you? Yes, it's a big question. And um, yes, I would say the first word that comes to my mind is respect, because you mentioned the intercultural relations, intercultural interaction. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's the same with the horses. You need a lot of uh, uh, respect and uh, avoid all biases, avoid all preconceived ideas, and meeting the person where he or she is. Uh, there is no, we have many differences, different cultures, but doesn't mean that ours is better or theirs is better. It doesn't matter, it's not a matter, it's just what is. And this is exactly how I see as well the interrelation with the horses and uh, seeing where they are and uh, trying to understand and being patient and being respectful in the, in, the, in, in the interaction. First of all, you need to build the trust and then of course you can move on. But without this, you cannot implement projects on the, in the field. You cannot work with the horses. It's trust is the basis and trust comes indeed from, as far as I'm concerned from really respecting the other one where he or she is. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah, meeting them where they are. So how does that show up in your, um, and well, the specific project that you are working on now, you want to tell us a little bit about that? And yes, uh, um, yes, a specific projects um, for the time being, uh, we have just uh, uh, finalized, finished the evacuation of the Afghan national staff from the Kabul office, our Kabul office. So it was um, difficult, heart wrenching at times, and uh, 
and very complex as well. Now everybody has arrived at the, the Afghan staff, national staff have arrived in Europe, they are with their own families, very often just with a plastic bag. And uh, they are already with their host countries. So they are starting another very long uh, process uh, with uh, procedures, uh, refugee status and so on. So there are lots of as well legal implications and in, in this. So this what I've been working on, and then now it's back in a way, let's say inverted commas to unfortunately what it's business as usual, which means uh, channeling the funds and uh, financing the projects uh, with uh, the UN or uh, international NGOs uh, uh, in the in the field, so in Afghanistan itself, uh, with uh, uh, people that already know how to work as well in the Taliban-controlled areas, because humanitarian aid is apolitical, which means we are going where needs are, mm -hmm. and uh, it doesn't matter who is in uh, in charge or who is in power. So this is the this is very very briefly what uh, is occupying our our time at, at present of course then are, there are the forgotten crisis and so on other projects on the side uh, about empowerment about uh, resilience and so on uh, but to have um to make the link indeed and what is the the core uh, I, I must say it's a presence it's a taking uh, one step at a time mm. it's um yeah, of course uh, having the bigger picture but indeed in this kind of uh, crisis the best thing you can do is just take one step at a time be there be now in the now mm -hmm. and then just move slowly it's uh, like uh, whenever for example i'm working with horses i try to uh, divide uh, the the objective in small steps so only when one step is mastered, I move on to the second step and then the third and the fourth and so on to have to achieve the, the, the objective, let's say. If it's a young horse or it's if a more experienced horse, it doesn't matter. So it's the same, concentrate one step at a time. Otherwise it becomes overwhelming. So it's, I, I found that it's overwhelming for the horse, but it's overwhelming for us Cubans, whenever we have, we are in facing uh, this kind of crisis situations. They are uh, beyond our capacities. We feel so powerless. We feel so frustrated, so sad. There is there are lots of emotions on. So concentrating on one step at a time, I think it's a life saving and, and effective as well. So this is definitely horse wisdom. You'd think we humans would have learned this by now. But it is uh, painfully, as you say, apparent that that's not the case, but it sounds like, uh, so what is your role in this, in, in this whole evacuation, and now they're, they're placed in their uh, host countries? What now, indeed, yes, now it's the evacuation, it's finished. So yeah. we uh, welcome them, they, we accompany them as well. Now, there, as I said, there are lots of uh, uh, legal as well aspects to be taken care of, uh, and it's a duty of care on our side, indeed, to take care of all this. It's um, on the 
on the other side, it's a, a, in particular, what I'm doing is a training, retraining, finding vocational training that can, can help as well. So this is part uh, of a larger effort. Uh, so because needs uh, are varied. So needs uh, are not only shelter, food, and uh, medical care, but uh, for example, education is a need. Mm -hmm. and uh, protection is a need. Uh, so it's, uh, it's all part of, of the bigger, bigger picture to provide and for the basic needs to, to and And so when you, when you say you're training, you're training field representatives? Yes, field, field staff. It's uh, actually, I'm, I'm uh, in charge of the training uh, for, uh, for field staff. So- So you're the lead mayor. <laughs> no, there. Oh, this is a good. This is a good one. <laughs> no, I. Um, this is something. Also, I. I have come to question a little bit, and this has been because I was also in the in the belief that her herds had leaders, and usually, indeed, the mayor, the lead mayor. What I've seen. Uh, in in my modest experience uh, is that it's actually the leader is the one who is apt to do who is capable to do a specific thing at that specific moment what i'm, I'm uh, I, I will uh, explain a little bit better so if for example uh, among my horses there is one with a frisian so is naturally strong, extremely tall, and powerful. And yes, he is a leader. However, he delegates possibly his leadership, or in any case, to a younger uh, stallion. And uh, he is the one actually that decides who is eating, when they are eating, and so on. Except when one, for example, is in need for example, either water or because it's uh, uh, it's a very very hot or a food. In that case, uh, the leadership changes. Yes. The the all the all interaction, the systemic composition changes completely. And this, I wanted to link it to an experience I had in the field. Great. Let me just let me just, yes. just people who are unfamiliar with systems, because yes. Nicola and I, that's where our background is. So basically the system, think of the herd, whether it's three, two, 50, that is a system. It's a living system. So what I hear you say, Nicoletta, is that depending on the need of the herd, the leadership can shift because their focus is thriving surviving, I mean, thriving and sustaining yes. for the greater good. That completely is not the case with most human systems in places that aren't working well. It's because the focus is different. It's mostly an individual focus rather than a, a, a whole system focus. So that is another piece of force wisdom is that it's the greater good that has to be together and share the responsibility and be fluid in that flow to make sure everyone is good. So you're going to give us an example of how you applied that in uh, in the field. Is that what I hear? Yes, okay. absolutely. What actually how I saw it applied and it's uh, it was mind opening as well. It was 
it was in a very traditional setting, uh, um, a, a rural community in Tajikistan, so Central Asia Republic. And uh, uh, I, was, I was there and I was visiting projects for my evaluation and monitoring job. And, it's, uh, and it was very interesting because we were, we were having and funding projects uh, for disaster risk reduction. It's a disaster risk prone region. So there are mudslides, uh, earthquakes, times uh, floods. It's, uh, it, it's tough. And every year there were lots of lots of problems and rebuilding and, and so on. And um, we were actually running a project that involved schools. So what I saw is that, of course, I was uh, welcomed by the mayor of the mayor, the chief of the of the little of the village in the mountains, and it was absolutely stunning. By the way, it's uh, one of the most beautiful areas in the world, Central Asia. Oh. And uh, it's uh, so. And, and then, of course, I was taken to to the schools to visit the project, and all of a sudden, the school teacher, uh, this lady, took the lead. And she was just beaming, you know, with the conviction, with the charisma. So she was a real leader explaining. And she was explaining to the class. They were, I think, around 10 years old, eight to 10 years old, the school children. And she was indeed explaining the, the need and what to do in cases of earthquake and how they should um, hide, for example, and uh, take cover under the desks uh, and, and, and things like this. And uh, afterwards, she told me that, you know, and she was really showing leadership skills, amazing in, in, in all senses. In, and uh, afterwards, she told me that actually the leaders are the kids because <laughs> they are the ones uh, that are going home uh, and they will raise awareness of their parents. They will teach their parents and families what to do. So the project was aimed at school children, eight to 10, or indeed the ideal spreading. And uh, these kids were proud and, and ready and they were teaching their parents and they were taking the lead indeed in, uh, in, in saving and helping saving their community. Mm. Oh, that's so gorgeous. It reminds me of what you said about the, your large Frisian and how yes. it delegates to the young stallions. Yes. In yes. fact, in Linda Kohanov's book, uh, The Five Roles of the Master Herder, I, I love she, she kind of elaborates on this uh, rotating leadership, if you will, and the different aspects people have to, to take up. People, listen to me, horses have to take up. <laughs> Okay, so it's, it actually, it's a very nice, <laughs> very nice horses and people based on the Fulani tribes in uh, the herding culture in Africa. And it's the thread that connects it is it's for the greater good of all. It's for thriving. There is no question. And at least Linda says in her book, uh, the immature dominance, those are the tyrants. Those are the ones that uh, have uh, the possibility of being leaders, but they misuse or abuse those skills. And that doesn't work. They get in trouble in the herds. <laughs> I've seen more than one mayor, you know, she just have to look at them and they know that they're yes. in trouble. 
absolutely. absolutely. So these children, yeah, that is just, you were talking about empowerment earlier. She says, yes, I have uh, other projects about empowerment. And I'm thinking this is empowerment. Yes. What you just yes. said. And that sounds like your Frisian is empowering the other members of his herd. Yes. To, to take responsibility yes. and accountability. And the thing is, is that that helps the thriving of the individual. See, this is a concept that is so often uh, misunderstood, misused, unknown, is that uh, when one is thriving for the system, I mean, supporting the system in whatever way it can, and the system is thriving, the individuals have to be thriving, right? In order to make that work. And so that I think is one of the biggest parts of force wisdom. That is incredible. I love it. You also talked about, um, let's see, I'm looking at the notes that you gave me because there's so many <laughs> yes. wonderful things. Okay, togetherness. Yes, we were talking about that, but you were talking about a specific instance. Do you want to say yes. more? Yes, about the togetherness, the strength okay. of the community. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, I see now um, my horses are free. They are uh, living in, in the herd. They are, uh, they are not in stables. They have a shelter, of course, but they are free to roam and, uh, and go around in, in the fields and um, take shelter if they want. They usually don't. So sometimes I wonder why. They're funny like that, <laughs> right? Don't. Yes, exactly. It's a pouring down. But they know, they know what matter. they need. <laughs> Yes, exactly. It's okay. It doesn't matter. It's for, probably more for uh, for us. Actually, they take shelter when there's uh, so much sun. So mm -hmm. bit... Anyway, so they are all together and uh, they are absolutely well balanced, uh, as we were saying before. There is a, a fluid way of leadership. There is a fluid relationship going on. Um, sometimes, of course, they also there are little, there are little quarrels, huh? but it doesn't matter. They are quickly solved. Mm -hmm. And what makes me think? And, and I, there are they have no how, how can I say? Um, they have no uh, tensions. They have no stresses or hidden stresses. Mm -hmm. So thank goodness and uh, knocking on wood, uh, they are healthy. And. I compare to some other situations where indeed the horses are isolated. And then in, also in my experience, uh, because I, I had a horse in that, in that situation, they, this horse tended to develop uh, stressful uh, responses mm -hmm. and uh, biting and uh, very, very, a lot of nervousness and so on. So I believe that it's very soothing as well. The, being together being together is is better than being alone we are social animals uh, it's a we can be lone wolves and also the wolves have their pack so yes even the lone wolf has his or her own pack so this is um, this belief and um, what i could also experience and see is the um wealth the richness and the amazing uh, results of commu community healing. When we are together and uh, even the healing is uh, deeper and more effective. 
And I was thinking about the Burundi situation. So after the, the genocide uh, and after all, all the troubles that started in the 60s and then went on for, for, for years, for dozens of years, it's um, around 2019, I think, uh, they, the government set up uh, um, commissions for uh, um, uh, it's the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commissions. And they were made on the, on the model of the ones that were used also in South Africa after the apartheid. And this, what, what did it imply? It implied actually uh, three steps. The repentance of uh, the perpetrator, and then the acceptance of the repentance, so the forgiveness. Yeah, that's, they're so the, huge. Each of those are so big. It's huge. And then the sharing of this with the community. And by doing this, the community was healed, was supposed to heal. There are lots of, um, how can I say, we could discuss for a long time because of course, uh, nothing is uh, so easy and nothing is so smooth. And uh, it's, um, of course it was difficult. Of course it was uh, extremely painful. It was a reopening wounds. On the other hand, it was uh, probably the best solution at, at that moment uh, to reconciliate uh, the, 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 these people, the, the people that were totally divided and where in every family, absolutely each family had experienced the other horrors as victims or had among themselves a perpetrator. So, and, and they had to live together. They had to find ways right. because yes, that was not an option. It was a country, it was a whole country. So to make the country whole again, this was the step that was taken. So this kind of collective healing that went, that was actually widespread throughout the country and each village had this kind of uh, circles where uh, people could express and uh, then could be in a way pardoned. And uh, if people did this, they were, and their, their um, repentance was accepted, so if they were forgiven by the victim, then there, would, there, were, there was no uh, legal follow-up. And this is so powerful because yes. it was- Yes. yes. I love this. Uh, I've, I've uh, read about this in many places, but what I'm hearing is that when you mentioned with the herds of horses, they, they had their squabbles, but then they're done right so they're not holding anything in so that it can unless humans have manipulated them to a point where they shut down yes. and then they yes. become dangerous because they explode but for the most part left part left to their own devices they handle these squabbles and it's done and so this incredible initiative where people had to go and because the lines are not black and white in these situations no, it is just yeah. beyond anything that most of, I think, Americans could understand. It just has not happened here for us to understand it. And uh, so for someone to deal with shame and anger and be able to express this and forgiveness for both self and others 
is is so healing and as you said if it wasn't a collective then there wouldn't have been that collective courage that collective vulnerability that collective love if you will and so i i just totally see that as um a gift of force wisdom in that not holding anything and expressing it in a collective way so the acceptance in um in the whole situation can happen. Um, I'm sure you know Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in the, the cycle of death and dying. Well, I learned it when I was in France. In English, the end thing is acceptance. When it's taught in French, it's forgiveness. Yes, and it's interesting. Yeah, I know. It's very different, right? The forgiveness I feel in my experience, as you say, my modest experience, I love that about you, is, uh, is forgiveness. Yeah, so, and but it's funny, it's words we use as humans. However, I don't know what that concept is within equines, with the horses. I, I, we cannot know, possibly. For me, it's a what is. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. Exactly. So I, I think it's an over-manipulation of, yes, of them, a projection, a personification that they even have. Yes. Right? They don't. And even for humans, if there is something wrong and you have you have been a subject to wrongdoing and uh, fine it is what it is can you change this no you can change only your attitude you can change the steps you are going to take you can change uh, the way you deal with it so it's not accepting by the way it has nothing to do with that you know blindly accepting whatever happens okay. mm -hmm. it's a uh, or unjust treatments and so on. Not at all, not at all. It's really standing up and saying, okay, I take stock of this. I will take the next step again, going back to my little tiny next step. And the horses. That's it, they're, exactly. They're not worrying about no. this way or this way. It's in this yes. moment, what is, yes. what needs to happen? Simply, yes. right? Yes. And allowing that or supporting that. Yeah, that's, that's so beautiful. And it sounds like uh, in Burundi, it was just magnificent and, and apartheid to be able to, to take some of that, although I don't know if they got it from horses, but they were able to take that. So the no, the no judgment and uh, no expectations, I think, it's like I said, it's a human trait. Yes. It's not yes. A, an equine trait. Yes. So it's interesting. Sometimes we have to extrapolate some of these things from the horses. And that's one of the reasons why I love this conversation we're having, because <clears throat> one of my biggest goals is how to take the horse wisdom into the world so yes. that the, we can heal collectively, which is what we've been talking about. So you have another um, <clears throat> interesting thing uh, that happened in Guatemala around holding space. And we all know that horses our masters at holding space. I agree. This is also that's um, um, it was a it was a dramatic circumstances because it was in an orphanage and where uh, mothers were taking their kids and even tiny little ones and they were malnourished and they, most of the times they took them at the last minute. 
So mm. the point was there, you feel so um, powerless. You feel totally in front of something that is beyond words. And you would like so much to change things. You would like so much to do something. And fine, there are moments when you can take steps and you can change something, you can take action. And there are some moments where there is absolutely nothing that you can do. And this is also acceptance or mm -hmm. of what is and holding space is essential. It's there. So again, no judgments, no, um, not only no judgments, but uh, no pushing into, into the other culture as well. We're going back to the, indeed, to the respect of, of intercultural relations. You never know the stories behind. You never know what is beyond certain choices. So the only thing you can do is hold space. Yes, um, that brings up two things for me. One, our dear friend and my mentor, Kathleen Barry Ingram, who talks about <clears throat> an active form of patience that we must, uh, in terms of engaging with others and horses, an active form of patience. And I, I hear this space holding as that, because you can't, it, it, in terms of feeling powerless and unable to do anything. Holding space is very different than actively holding space. Yes. And and I just I think it's so so beautiful that that you were able to do that. And it I can't remember the other thing that it brought up for me because that was so powerful just to think of that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There was something about it may or may not come up. So being able to just, uh, yeah, to just be in that which you have. Oh, I know, I was going to talk about grief. Yes. We had uh, uh, this lovely, lovely, uh, she was a student of mine and of Linda's, Tara Coyote, Tara Coyote. And she just published a book on grief. She's uh, been living with cancer four or five years now. She's a very, very young woman. And she talks about grief and she did with her horses grief rituals and workshops and how, uh, how, how much she, the horses were part of that. So it's not like the horses don't experience the grief. I mean, how many times have you seen some horse yeah. grieving over the death or the loss of another one? Yeah. And uh, but they're holding space. They're, they're but they're grieving. They have a mourning that happens for them in in their multi dimension, right? And so I feel that that the way you described holding space in the situation also involved grief. A lot. Yes, absolutely, a lot. It was a lot of grief. You could, it was almost uh, tangible, the, the, the grief and the grieving process. And again, in the grieving process, and as you also mentioned, yes, of course, I've lost horses and I accompanied the horses. I lost uh, dear ones in my family, very close ones. And it's uh, just being there. Mm -hmm. And yes, you rightly said, there's a difference in holding space and actively holding space. It's a, it's a matter of presence, I would say. Yes. 
Yes. But the difference is really in the presence. Uh, yeah, as simple as that. It's uh, where you are, where you really are there. And um, it's, it's very um, powerful, certainly collectively being able to literally, because if you were feeling that depth or that density of grief, being able to actually hold that space energetically makes it, it's very powerful, very, very powerful. But I agree, one has to be able to be vulnerable enough to be fully present for that. And we can learn that from being with the horses. Yes. And then uh, you can shake it off. As they do, we could roll, we could shake. Yes, yes, yes. In uh, riding the tiger, indeed, for example, it's uh, the matter, it's about movement. It's yeah. about how you indeed switch the, 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 the you change indeed this kind of that cells are like paralyzed and then you put them in movement again so the trauma goes away and it's shaken off and this is essential as well and after these experiences for example very often in um, in these uh, local communities uh, they get together they sing they dance ah. there is something that is transformed yeah. and it's such a an ancient wisdom that possibly we have lost because when we are grieving and when going to yes to the cemetery you just stand still you are not certainly shaking or you know moving or afterwards you it's it's something that is stays there and it's it's like frozen <laughs> it's yeah. uh, it's it's a prison so but life goes on and uh, joy is there and uh, life is uh, beauty and uh, and terror and everything in between and the horses live that way yes yes they see that wisdom that wisdom of uh horse wisdom is how to live life i mean there's yes. been so many things nicoletta this has been so gorgeous I, I think you and I could sit around and talk for a long time. <laughs> In fact, I am, uh, this will be the conclusion of this incredible conversation, but I'm going to stick around with Nicoletta for a little bit afterwards. And we're going to, again, go a little bit deeper into her experiences and how she has been with her horses and that experience and how it is manifesting itself in the work she's doing in humanitarian aid and work at the EU. Again, taking the work from the barn, taking the horse wisdom out of the round pen. So you can have access to that through the VIP all access pass, which is underneath this video. So uh, know that you too can be part of this conversation. So Nicoletta, thank you so much. I am so grateful for all the work you thank do. Thank you, Lisa. Thank and you very, very much. All right, everybody. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.